Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. Season four, and we have some big announcements. The podcast started as an extension of our work and ministry with survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking. However, these conversations exposed a broader cultural issue impacting Christ followers. So starting in season four, this podcast will attempt to explore the big question, how do we live and love like Jesus today? We are moving the podcast under the religion and spirituality category to explore the wide context of Christ following. So please share the show with others. In this podcast, we will give space for conversation, compassion, and courage as we seek to love God and love our neighbor. Lastly, we're looking to grow our support as there has been no budget for this podcast. So if you listen to the show, would you consider supporting us even at $5 a month by going to JesusSaidLovePodcast.com? Supporters will get bonus content and savings on resources like books, products, and conferences, and raw live video footage of the recording. So how do we live and love like Jesus? Let's find out. So you're going to start, Brett? I'm trying to. You're just interrupting me. Oh, that was a start? Yeah. Will you stop doing that? Mm. Sure. We've already started. See how we do? Go for it. This is how we do. No, we already started. That was the start. I thought you were holding your breath. I was because I wanted to see what you would do because you could not maintain in your oneness. You could not maintain the intentional silence that I brought to the table. You had to make sure that I was going to say hello. My choosing in the moment was to not say hello and see what, see what happened. This is what happened. Yeah. Well, you can't control me. I mean, your eightness can't control me. I know, but you were trying to control me in your judgmental oneness. I don't think I was. Of my quiet space that I was intentionally delivering in this opening monologue. You're a lot, babe. I'm trying to keep you on your toes, babe. You're coming in hot. Well, well, you guess know what? Why? You got to You be, know why I'm coming in hot? Here's why, why I'm coming in hot. Yeah, tell me. Because okay. we just had some revolutionary discoveries with the person we're about to interview. And that turns out you calm. I knew her dad. <laughs> and so I just got to talk to him and now I'm amped. So get ready. We're going to talk about motherhood and I'm <laughs> all in kids. I think I think that's, yeah, you had to kind of get your space in because we, this whole podcast is, um, cause I'm pretty much going to be quiet the rest of the time. I don't want you to be quiet. I really don't. I don't want you to be quiet. I want you to ask the questions because I, I am so excited about this guest we have on the show today. Okay. Because, um, Shannon, Shannon K Evans is, has written a book called rewilding motherhood and when I saw her on Instagram talking about this, I don't know who maybe tagged me or how I found her, but maybe Hillary McBride. Did you do something with Hillary? Hillary? Yeah, she shared about it. And that's, yeah. that's it. Well, when I started digging in, I was like, um, before, before I even read the book, I knew I wanted Shannon on this show because now that I've got the book in my hands, this is the content that I wanted 18 years ago. And, and it also feels like everything I've read so far and I haven't completely finished the book, I could have written it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's the same. It's like there I am. It's like, I wish I would have had it, but here I am now at 43, having grown kids and an 11 year old still coming up. Like this is, 
this is the stuff I'm practicing. And this is the stuff that motherhood's changed me for the better to find who I am. And I think that what I'm recognizing is all of these themes that you talk about regarding discovering a new path of, of what feminine spirituality is. I just want to go there. I want to, I want to talk about all the things. So welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a lovely introduction. Well, okay. I want to know, Shannon, tell us a little bit where you're coming from today, a little bit about yourself. And then I want to ask you about even the name, what is rewilding? So yeah, tell us about who you are and what is rewilding. Yeah. So I am, I, for the last six years, I've been an Iowan. So found myself in the Midwest. I have five kids, one through adoption and four through my body. And I'm married to my husband, Eric, for 15 years. We have kind of been all over the map. We got married and spent two years as evangelical missionaries in Indonesia, came back and sort of randomly made our way into the Catholic church. And so we've been Catholic now for like seven years. And, but, but yeah, I grew up Protestant. So I kind of like to keep a foot in both worlds in some sense, you know, and kind Mm -hmm. of find um, find the synergy between those two traditions. And I am a writer and my first book was Embracing Weakness, came out a couple of years ago. And then this one, Rewilding Motherhood, um, has been out for a month or two now. And as for the title, I wanted, I was working with my marketing director and I wanted something with the word wild in it because I, my hope for the book was like that it would sort of be an invitation to kind of come back to this sort of like organic primal um spirituality of motherhood that I think was really God's intention and and Mm -hmm. sort of we've lost that along the way so I wanted like this wildness about it and I came across the term rewilding which was new to me but is um, a term used among naturalists and um, environmental restoration practices where they they come in and they intentionally rewild a piece of land by removing all of the harmful human intervention and letting the land go back to doing what Mm. it's meant to do. And even reintroducing predators, reintroducing some native species, like things um, that may seem counterintuitive, but then like there are measurable ways to see that the ecosystem begins healing itself. Um, From the outside, it looks more unkempt, it looks wild, but on the inside, it's thriving and doing exactly what it's meant to do and it's healing itself. And so I just thought that was the most perfect metaphor for what Mm -hmm. I want motherhood to be for women and what I believe it can be, um, sort of this this path that leads us back to kind of um, this this original state of self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-trust, where we can really thrive and where we can really find a relationship with God that is authentic to who we are inside and not, not a matter of pleasing the people who are watching us or who are mm. in authority over us or anything like that. But it's, but it's kind of coming back to this essence of you and God and letting that restore your soul, you know, rehabilitate the mm. ecosystem, if you will, of your being. I loved everything. I loved everything about the introduction and what rewilding land looks like. We have a neighbor who is a environmentalist and 
rewilder and and we didn't know what was happening at first in their yard we're like oh my god like what are they doing here you know it they were the ugliest yard it's a terrible yard I mean, just, you're like you're ruining our neighborhood yeah but it's great once I found out I was like oh my gosh it's so cool and it's native species you know native Texas species and things like that um But I think that what is so powerful about the concept of your book and what you're inviting us into is to not only um, let go of maybe external standards that, that history and culture dictate that mothers should be, but also to let go of some of the unhealthy tendencies that there are for even even the good can become too intoxicating um, when you're enmeshed in your children's lives, you know, to be this suffering saint or the martyr. And one of my favorite lines that you say right up at the beginning is no one can bleed forever and hope to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, that's it. Can we put that on a bumper sticker? <laughs> it needs to be the lesson. No one is, that's not God's intention. Mm-hmm. You right. know, um, is that part of just where this drive came from? Did you feel yourself in your own story bleeding out in a way? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I think I grew up in in Christian culture and, and Christian spheres. And I think that influences a lot of how we see family life, um, especially for women, how we expect to function as a family system, um, what we expect out of motherhood. And there's a lot of glorification of sacrifice and a lot of, I mean, the Mother's Day, having women stand and get their flowers and everybody claps. And it's just, you know, almost always the sermon of, of the day will be in praise of the sacrifice of what a mother gives. And, and it feels good, like, because it does require a ton of sacrifice and like, it's nice to be validated for that, um, but it's it's a fine line between you know validating and kind of perpetuating this this belief, this harmful belief that that's all women are good for, you know. Right. And that's the essence of your calling in the world. I think there's so much um, there's so much rhetoric around you know motherhood being your highest calling. And it's like, it's okay if you're bleeding out. It's okay Mm -hmm. if it costs you everything. It's okay if you lose yourself. And nobody's saying those words, but they're not, there's no triage, you know, (laughs) like there's no help. Um, And so that's kind of what I wanted to push back on because for me, it became, um, I I actually, one of my kids, the fourth one, um, the pregnancy was a surprise and it was really difficult for Mm -hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I knew that I was going to have this baby, but I was very, it was very hard. And there was a lot of um, kind of dipping into a place of darkness and hopelessness and resentment, so much resentment, you know, mm-hmm. of being stuck in this position. Um, and yeah, so I, it was really been a process of the last few years of finding that the way to heal that wasn't just gritting my teeth and and pressing in to the sacrifice and finding some sort of you know redemptive story in that place of martyrdom but it was actually like listening 
to myself and what, Mm -hmm. what my needs were and what my intuition was telling me was that I needed more balance in my life and I needed something else. So kind of learning how to honor those things and resisting the narrative that my highest worth is, is, um, what I can offer and what I can lay down and kind of being a doormat essentially. So what do you do with just hearing you talk? I'm immediately envisioning one of those church services, probably on Mother's Day, where they're going to read Proverbs 31 and every well-intentioned man in the room is like, yeah, my wife's a Proverbs 31 wife. How does Proverbs 31 hit you in light of the beat? Is Is that a prescription for what you want to be? Is that a... I can't be that. So for you to say that that's what I am is almost not a badge of courage. It's almost, you're just pointing out my weaknesses because I'm never going to be that. Like how does Proverbs 31 hit you in light of all that? Right. Well, you know, I, I've read a lot of helpful critique about that and kind of the, the conversation of maybe the problem isn't actually that passage. Maybe the problem is what we do with that passage or the parts of it that we pull out and highlight. Cause there's actually some really interesting stuff there of, you know, she, she has her own business, you Mm -hmm. know, she has her own stream of income. She supports her family and we don't really put a lot of, we don't put a lot of weight on that part. We talk more about, you know, the, the parts that honestly are more um, pleasing to patriarchy. And she gets yeah. up early. She makes her clothes. She cooks, she gardens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And we're like, okay, but also like, it's pretty badass that there was a woman thousands of years ago has her own business and she's like hustling at the gate, selling her yeah. wear, you know? Um, and so I, you know, I think it's, for me, that's what I, I keep in balance. And when I hear stuff like that, I just sort of roll my eyes and forget it. Honestly, I don't really give it that much thought. But I, I know that, you know, culturally, it really is in our subconscious a lot. It is. And I think, um, I'm sure you've heard of Beth Barr and her work, um, yeah. Remaking of Biblical Womanhood. Yes. I just did an event with her, actually, a virtual event. Awesome. You can find it on YouTube. But yeah. So good. Um, and when we talked about her book on the show and it was so encouraging to know that first of all, all of us, we know come at our understanding of scripture and text with our own cultural bias. But what she really helped me to understand through her book was that the medieval woman, you know, was not motherhood was not this like highest, highest, calling that women in in that time period who were following after God were literally leaving their mm. children yeah. to follow God. And that was their sacrifice, mm. you know, to, to honor their truest calling, to honor who they believed they were. And it's not that they didn't love their kids, mm. you know, it's that they were honoring who they the voice of God in their lives. And so I just don't, I'm like, we, where did that get lost? You know, where did, where did these prophets and these holy women, where did their voices get lost? You know? Yeah. I love that. Um, Yeah. I find it so interesting because, you know, when we look at the saints, you know, medieval or, or even after the ones that we revere, they're almost never married with children, which Mm -hmm. I think is problematic. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I think there's like Mm -hmm. 
this um, glorification of one kind of vocation or one kind of calling. But it's really interesting because just what you're saying of like, well, clearly, you know, women were choosing their own spiritual path, their own, their own soul over this, um, what we now say is, is kind of the end all be all for women. And so, yeah, it's like the women would actually choose like to go to a convent because they didn't want to get married you know? mm-hmm. because it was like this, these were their two options. You get, you know, you're given in marriage to somebody that you, you don't even know, or you're not in love with, or you can have your personal freedom and, and join a convent. So it's very interesting to see mm-hmm. how that unfolded. And mm-hmm. I think really inspiring to see women throughout the, the Christian story of um, like, like St. Clair, who was St. Mm-hmm. Francis's best friend, essentially, she ran away from home in the middle of the night and shaved her head so that she could join Francis's guys. And I'm just wow. like, we don't talk enough about these women, you yes. know, more of these kind of stories. So, were, they su- were they sweet on each other or just no, buddies? No, just buddies, just kind of spiritual partners. So what is, what is, because the subtitle is your path Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to Empowered Feminine Spirituality. What is, the first time I heard this term was probably like six years ago, six or seven years ago. What is empowered feminine spirituality? Yeah, so for me, I can only kind of say my intentions with the book because people might use that term differently. But for me, I think, you know, I my interest is really in helping women break down um, the the harmful effects of living in a patriarchal society, mm-hmm. living in a patriarchal church. And I'm not, Brett, I trust that you know this, but like, I am not at all like, you know, criticizing men or like hating men, anything like that. Like that's bull. No, I'm not doing that. But we can critique this yeah, system that has totally. harmed women. And so, yeah, just kind of learning to um, re-engage the kind of the kind of um, spiritual path that is our own that doesn't belong to institutional structures that doesn't um, belong to male authority leaders or even female authority leaders for that matter. But that mm-hmm. is, is our own. I think so many of our um, spiritual systems within Christianity, spiritual practices are really masculine in nature. And women historically have really found our connection to, to God um, being stronger in the earthen elements, in mm-hmm. our children, in our elders, in the work of the home. And not at all that every woman needs to be at home 24-7, but but the the incarnational aspect of like flesh and matter and material mm-hmm. world and um, air and trees and water and, and things like that. Like historically, that has kind of marked women who have a certain wildness within them, who have a certain inner freedom within them, whatever whatever religious or spiritual tradition we might be talking about. And so kind of inviting that, that element of um, 
independence in a lot of ways, like spiritual independence that mm-hmm. women can trust within themselves. So that was kind of a mouthful answer for you, but I don't, don't have just one sentence to describe it, but hopefully that paints a picture. It does. I think I, um, I think I told you about Sister Macrina and some of the silent retreats at St. Scholastica Monastery. And she was one of the ones who introduced um, what feminine spirituality meant um, and, and really it was so interesting to me cause I found her and I can say this now, I know that she's, she's with me now that she's passed away. Um, and this won't be a threat to her standing in the monastery or the Catholic church anymore, but she had a wildness about her. And even though she entered the monastery as a six or 17 year old, when she left home, um, throughout her life, she would talk about how even in this system of of patriarchy in the Catholic church, that there was so much richness and so much um, that the Catholic church really had given feminine spirituality with even um, understanding Mary and honoring Mary. And that is something growing up as a Southern Baptist, we just thought was so crazy. We were just like, Ugh, Mother Mary, why are they praying to Mary? Why are they, why do we got to talk about Mary? Yeah. And, you know, that was just my Baptist patriarchal lens. And so it was interesting to me, there was kind of this like little bit of a rebellion in the, in the nuns mm-hmm. of like knowing that they possessed this understanding of God that was theirs yeah. and that it wasn't for it, it wasn't something that came as naturally for maybe the men to understand. Yeah. You know, I often say that I think the nuns are a big part of what keep me in the church because they are really on the cutting edge of that. And I think there's such, you know, I mean, they're not a monolith, but, but so many of them demonstrate this embodied feminine spirituality that says, I know what I know about God. And nobody can tell me different, you know? Um, and so they're just on the front lines of most of the justice work that's being done here and around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, just really kind of just a prophetic witness in, in such a male-dominated church. And I, um, yeah, I just, I just appreciate their presence so much. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the Mary thing was actually when my husband and I became Catholic or a couple of years before he had been kind of interested in a while. And he asked me, I say this in the book, he asked me if I would ever consider it. And I was like, no, I can't get past the Mary <laughs> thing. And now like Mary is literally probably what keeps me in the church because of that feminine representation. Mm-hmm. And I have a whole chapter um, on this in the book, but I think it, um, it really heals something in us to see a feminine body in our spiritual spaces because right. we have we have images of Jesus everywhere. We have, you know, crucifixes everywhere. We address God as Father and He traditionally. And we don't realize what that chips away at in a woman's yeah. psyche over the course of her life. Um, and so to see this, uh, you know, to see the icons of Mary or, you know, the artistic renderings of Mary. And I enjoy, you know, exploring throughout the course of history of like mm-hmm. all the Black Donnas of Europe. And, and Absolutely. 
Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico, like mm-hmm. all of these um, different ways that she is is embodied in different races and cultures. And um, yeah, I think there's something really necessary about that. Richard Rohr actually says that in in the most um, in the most like macho spaces, you will find Mary because mm-hmm. it's almost like um, it's almost like the human consciousness is is trying to balance itself out mm. <laughs> so in a lot of like latin american contexts that are very um male dominated and, and very kind of um macho mary is like a strong figure and he talks about like at a lot of um you know kind of uh cowboy type southern catholic churches that he's been to mary is has has a lot more prominence there than some of like Mm. the more moderate places and so it's kind of interesting how the human psyche kind of seeks to balance itself out but i think we need to help the process along a little bit (laughs) that's so that's so interesting um one of the things that you well, I wanted to ask you, one of the things I want to ask you is why this book and why now? Yeah. I think for me, um, I was definitely never planning to do a motherhood book. I was very much, it was really important to me to, to not be a women's writer <laughs> because I, I had get a it. lot of stuff about it. And then I kind of realized along the way that that's internalized patriarchy, that that's saying it's not enough to be a women's writer. Like that's less than, it's less intellectual. It's less worthy of like academic pursuit and, and intellectual interest. And I was just like, well, I'm calling bullshit on myself here. So, um, enough of that. And so, yeah, I think I, I kind of had a pretty, transformative experience within the course of a couple of years of, of changing the way, um, that I allowed myself to be in my family and in the world and even in the Catholic church. And so it it felt like an invitation to share some of what I was learning with other women. And so hopefully that came across in the book. Will you share the story and the lore of what the midwife shared with you? Yes. Will you just tell that story to our listeners? Um, I thought it was so powerful and it is in essence what motherhood is. Would you mind if I actually just read it? Oh yeah. I got my book right here too. Let's oh, see. okay. Well, you want to read I'll, it or I'm no, I want you to, read. I would love, I'd be honored if you'd read I'm it. I'm afraid I will, I will forget parts or, or whatnot. If, um, if I try to do it off the top of my head. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? I am. (laughs) So set it up for us. So yeah, just. So um, this is when I was pregnant with my first child, I went to a birthing center called Inanna Birth and Care. And I didn't think much of it, but the first time we had our like in, you know, intake appointment, my husband and I, and the midwife said, let me tell you about the story of Inanna. And it was clearly something that she told every woman who, who came in for her um, pregnancy care. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to the story. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of random. 
Um, and it's a, it's a Greek myth. And so I will, um, let's see, I'm trying to decide where to start. Okay. Yeah. It's, so I'll start with the actual story itself, but so the first, it, the first, um, epic poem, probably older than the epic of Gilgamesh is, mm-hmm. is the idea, um, considered by some to be the first epic poem. So ancient, ancient story. And, just ring so true. So here I go. In the story, Inanna descends to the underworld to visit her sister, Erish Kegel, the queen of the dead, whose husband has just died. Naturally, the underworld is not a safe place to go, so Inanna is armed with divine powers to protect her. A crown, two necklaces, breastplate, ring, scepter, and fine clothes. When she arrives, her sister, Erish Kegel, is none too pleased and orders the seven gates of the underworld bolted shut against Inanna. She is allowed through one gate at a time, but is required to strip herself of one divine power at each gate. So when Inanna finally meets her sister, she is naked and utterly vulnerable. Erish Kegel turns her defenseless sister into a corpse and hangs her on a hook where Inanna stays for three days and three nights until her faithful servant, Ninshubar, goes to the underworld with two demons, outsmarts Ereshkigal, and revives Inanna with the food and water of life. Inanna then rises from the dead and returns to earth. When the midwife finished the story, she looked me in the eye with all the tenderness of a wizened sage who knows their protege cannot yet possibly understand what they are about to say. This is childbirth, she said. You will be stripped of everything, for you can take nothing with you but what is inside you. You will die and you will be resurrected. You will know true things about yourself for the first time. And if you are paying attention, you can take that knowing with you into the rest of your life. This is the sacred mystery of motherhood, whether it has been entered into through childbirth, adoption, foster care, step parenting, or any other way. Motherhood does not tell us who we are. Motherhood tells us how to find out for ourselves. Oh, hallelujah. I just, I mean, like tears when I first read, I just thought you don't take anything. What you have is what's inside of you. And every fear that arises at those gates, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's your fear. It's yours. And you have to contend with it, right? Yeah. And that is, and then what you know, you can never unknow. Girl, yes. Isn't that true? Yeah. You know, and it does go with you. There is a knowing in that process of mothering that is both terrifying, exhilarating, and yet revealing. I mean, it's just like, it's just incredible. I just, I loved that your midwife, (laughs) your midwife's like, let me tell you. Isn't that amazing? I know. And thank you for sharing that with the world. That is it. That is something the world needs to hear and needs to know. And that's something I think that every mom will be so refreshed and moved by as well. Yeah. As our hearts or bodies, either both are broken open. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I, you know, that I actually, 
you know, I, I didn't necessarily forget, but I really hadn't thought about her telling me yeah. that story. And then when I started writing that chapter, it, it came to me and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And honestly, it was like, this, this makes way more sense than it did when she first told me the story. Now I understand it in a, in a really embodied way. And it really has kind of put me on this path of interest in mythology and fairy tale and folklore mm-hmm. um, in the way that it communicates something about ourselves in a similar way that the stories in scripture do. But I think for women, there's not a lot of, of female stories in scripture. Mm-hmm. There's a few, but there's we not gotta many. Dig. We got to yeah. dig. Right. <laughs> there's not many that wear the lead role, at least. Right. That's for sure, you know. And so, so kind of opening up this, this entire other canon of literature that can tell us things about ourselves through story um, is really exciting to me. So I want to explore that more. Maybe. Oh, I, yeah. It's incredible. Um, and all the now, biblical on, symbol, symbolism too, of the three days, three nights. Anyway, oh yeah. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. crazy. Yeah. And then he feeds her with like the bread and water of life. I know. Like. God's been around kind of a long time, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Brett, we're interrupting you. <laughs> Y'all were the lead story in the Genesis story, okay? You're the lead actor in that. You're the you're what you are what brought this all down, okay? Oh, is remember, that it? Remember that part? Right. Yes. Yeah. How can we complain about not getting the spotlight? I know you're at the right. very beginning. That's right. Well, not really, but yeah, we <laughs> took it down, didn't we? Um, okay, tell us too. <laughs> Yes, you do. Tell us about the layout and just how you break down the the book. I felt like that was really important. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So I, I put it into two parts. Um, the first part is growing inward. I always get my words mixed up. Growing inward. And the second part is flowing outward. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I didn't set out to do that initially, but as I was coming up with what I wanted to address in the chapters, it sort of seemed to organize itself in that some of the chapters were addressing things that were really only about what was going on inside of us. Mm -hmm. And then some of the chapters were addressing how we affect the world, how we affect our family and our... Hold on. I think it's it's dishwasher person. Hold on. Oh my gosh. Hold on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Welcome to the no, zoo of our I home. When I pod- podcast at my house, my dog does this. Well, and we've been without a, um, a washer for going on a week now. Oh no. And let's just say it sucks. Yeah. And I can't fix anything. So <laughs> hopefully this means it's going to get fixed and we can actually wash our clothes. Yes, I hope so for you. Have you been having to go to the laundromat or are you just waiting? Um, so each of us do our own clothes. And so I have yeah. opted. Do what? Just FedEx. Oh, it's just FedEx? Yeah. Anyway, we all do our own clothes. I've opted to wait. Emily is oh. always on top of the laundry. Our middle daughter is horrific with laundry. So yeah, she oldest is better. Until she gets in trouble. But Emily was gracious and actually washed my clothes the other day. So I did. I was like, I haven't washed your clothes in years. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay. okay. So let's go back. Get, get the, us back to a 
Yeah, the layout. Oh, right. Okay. Start start over with the layout. It's from the beginning. Yeah, probably. So yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily start out trying to do a specific layout, but as I was kind of brainstorming and outlining what I wanted the chapters to be, I noticed that some of them were kind of organizing themselves around this idea of only what happens within us, kind of between us and God, um, or even between us and and ourselves, our own psyches. Um, and then other chapters really had a lot to do with not just what was going on within us, but how that affects um, the people that we interact with. So our children, our partners, our communities, and the world at large. And so I did the first one, the first half of the book is growing inward. And then the second half is flowing outward. And I felt like that was um, a way that we could kind of look at it in a holistic way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of books on, you know, self-introspection and there's a lot of books on, um, you know, being active in the world or in the community. And so I kind of wanted to find a way to bring those things together into one work. Talk a little bit about one of, I think it's your very, maybe it's your very first chapter where you talk about also um, boundaries and that internal, external um, there's internal boundaries that we make. There's external boundaries that are good and healthy for us. Why did you feel like it was so important, first of all, to write about boundaries when we're talking about motherhood? And why, why did you split them up into the internal and external? Yeah. So um, one thing that I came across in a lot of my reading from therapists and counselors and psychologists was that boundaries actually enable us to be more generous people. And that really struck me because I think often we think the opposite is true, that the less boundaries we have, the more giving and generous and, and, um, you know, self-sacrificing we are. But in the reality, often we are doing that from a place of burnout and resentment and feeling like, um, no one's grateful for what we're doing and mm-hmm. kind of, so it's not actually a very pure or healthy place to operate out of. And so establishing boundaries helps any human being become, um, able to determine when they're able to give of themselves and their time and energy in a way that comes from a true place of inner freedom and generosity. Now for moms this like, exponentially true because there's a lot of giving and sacrifice that are not optional. We just have to, you know, especially in the years when our kids are smaller and, and then we kind of get in the habit and some of us continue doing it even when they're adults. And so I think for a book on motherhood, I saw it as really important to um, address that because it is, part of a healthy spiritual life. It's not at all separate from spirituality. It doesn't make you um, a worse Christian because you put up boundaries. It actually um, helps your spiritual practice become more generous. And so the internal and external thing um, I wanted to highlight because internal boundaries only have to do with ourself. It's it's kind of um, deals that we make with ourselves of like, Mm -hmm. I am not going to drink alcohol at all because I can't seem to handle it. I, you know, and I list several other ones. I'm not going to do screen time 
this time of day or on the weekends or whatnot. Um, and then external boundaries are ones that we have to make with the people in our lives, um, you know, at work or in the home or at church or things like that, that kind of say, um, I think Brene Brown says like a boundary is saying, this is what's okay. And this is what's not okay. And I think having that clarity is really important if we're going to live a healthy life. It is. And I also just feel like it's so tempting because maybe the standard of of what the world says around us or culture of, of, of what women or, or what mothers are to be, it's so easy to let those boundaries go and it's called good. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're affirmed for not having boundaries. Yes. You know, it's, it's honorable in some ways to spin yourself, you know, ragged. But I think our, I think our children and our families are the mirrors that, that say like, sometimes I mean, Brett's just like, you need to, you need to take a nap or (laughs) just, I got the kitchen, like quit, quit spinning, quit. You don't have to, you know, you, you think you do, but you don't. And so it's just so helpful. I think if we'll listen, if we really can listen to even what our community is saying about those who see us most are saying about our character sometimes, <laughs> like they can be cues to us to maybe draw some better boundaries. Right. Um, you also talk, which leads me into talking about anger. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of understanding anger, what it is, what it isn't, um, why it was important to write on that. Yeah. I don't think it's talked about enough in yeah. women's in women's literature and women's offerings. I think it's something that usually um, when it comes up, it's sort of from a place of shame or having done something wrong or something that you're trying to pray your way out of, of like, I mean, I, I feel terrible. I got angry with my kids. I need to be less angry or just like this feeling of guilt about it. And um, so I'm an Enneagram nine, mm-hmm. which is sort of like plagued by this anger that is always just simmering under the surface that we never let out. And then I have an eight wing, which is just like, that means you're going to hear my anger sometimes. <laughs> you know? yeah. But like, so for me, it, it's been a huge part of my journey of like in spiritual direction and, and inner work of like learning to befriend that anger and not yeah. seeing it as a threat and not seeing it as something to avoid or repress, but, and I think that that's so true of women of all personality types because, well, there's a lot of, I talk about it in my book about a lot of the reasons why I believe that it's not safe for women to really feel our anger. Um, But we have to create a safe safe place to be able to do that for ourselves. Like if, if our church doesn't do it, if our social structure doesn't do it for us, we have to um, find that sense of safety to be honest about our anger with ourselves. And that doesn't mean permission to fly off the handle at all times mm-hmm. or be hurtful or anything like that, but to be honest and not call it frustration, not call mm-hmm. it disappointment, not say we're fine if we're not like naming it. Yes, I'm mad. Yes, I'm angry. Um, and then asking questions about what, it, what it's trying to teach us. Absolutely. Um, about ourselves and it's almost never 
the situation that just happened, you know, like, sure, that's a piece of it, but it's always, you have to just keep tracing it back and keep asking questions to find the root of it Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, the symptom. Um, That was a mixed metaphor, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a, um, I have a very close relationship with anger. All three of us do here. We've got the eight, nine, and one triad on the podcast today. I am resolved on that. (laughs) You have no anger. Um, And I think my work with anger has led me, our, you know, the nine and the one just have that quiet tendency to hold anger and the way it comes out is in different ways. Mine's probably a little bit stronger and more straightforward than yours sometimes, but um, it is there nonetheless. And it has led me to deep grief. Like one of my um, Allender Center, I don't know if you know the Allender Center, but they're amazing and they do narrative story work and trauma-informed narrative story work. And so one of the things that one of my story guides said to me is that, you know, Emily, how they said, can you remember like the first time you were really, really mad about something or that you were even holding on to it? You may not could express it, but you were mad. And, you know, so we went into that story and she just said, I just see that as being part of your God-given desire for justice. Anger's there because something's wrong. Right. And anger's there because something's off or broken. And so the more you can start treating even your anger with kindness, it allows you to hold it and hold the tension of it that we may not can fix this overnight. Yeah. This might, this might have to be cried over for a long time, to which I was like, oh, <laughs> like who wants to hear that? Yeah, right. I'd rather just get pissed, you know? Yeah. Um, but wow, like what an invitation anger is to our own stories and to the stories for women of great harm yeah, and great injustice, maybe even longing and dissatisfaction mm-hmm. with where you're at in yes. your parenting, in your home, in your family of origin, whatever it is in the world. It's, it's such an important topic. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you wove that into the embodied feminine spirituality because it is a part of who we are. Yeah. you know, that is, that is probably the chapter that I get the most feedback on that people really appreciate the most. And even people who don't really like the rest of the book, (laughs) there are some women who are more conservative than I am who are like uncomfortable with parts of the book. And you know, that's fine. Not every book is for every person, but I have noticed and been surprised that, that even many of them say this chapter was kind of worth reading the book or, you know, I was like, that, that indicates something like we are all so hungry for someone to tell us what to do with this anger and what, and, and how to, um, yeah, what to do with it. Because I think, you know, the message is that, that we're not supposed to experience it, Mm -hmm. but just like you said, it's often trying to lead us to, um, changes that we're invited to make that we have agency to actually yes. make um or you know activism to get involved in you know to things that make us angry in the world we, we can do something about these things you know and so and then sometimes like you said it's really just an invitation to face your grief and cry and like you really need to deal with those you know 
the tears that have to come. So it's, I'm learning to make friends with my anger and be grateful for it because it's teaching me a lot and helping. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a cue. Mm -hmm. Um, to the mothers who might be tuning in, I, and maybe you're carpooling or giving, I don't know how you listen to your podcast, but maybe you're in the midst of dinner preparation or, or you're having your alone time. I just wondered if Shannon could give us just a guided meditation to kind of help us ground ourselves into this idea of not only motherhood, but what it means to be our own um, person who may be mothering um, in our lives right now. And so Shannon does this a lot. And each in, at the end of each chapter of her book, Shannon has um, kind of a going deeper practice that you can do, which is really, really helpful. And I was able to read and, and practice one this morning and it was so beautiful, um, really intentional questions. So I'm great if you want to do one from the book or if you just want to freestyle it. Um, I will remind our listeners, if you're driving, don't close your eyes you know, don't do that unless you're still, you are driving. <laughs> do you really have to remind people to do that? I have caught myself during like a yoga thing podcast and I started to close my eyes because it was just like habit. Okay. We need to talk when this is over. Well, I mean, I just dissociate maybe in like a different world. <laughs> I don't know. I was like transported. I was like, wait. Right. So. If you can pull over. Pull yeah, if you over. can pull over. <laughs> Yes, I would love to. Um, Yeah, I think I'm just going to freestyle it. That's great. So if it's available to you, get your feet flat on the floor and kind of sit up straight so that you're in an active posture of receiving and feel the ground beneath your feet. And just take a minute to be grateful for that stability. Be grateful that you can find solid ground wherever you are, however um, upside down your world is feeling, however chaotic your day feels, you can stop and find solid ground beneath you. If you're comfortable with it, open your hands, palms up in a posture of receptivity, just a way to physically invite the spirit of God to Come and bring peace, bring steadiness. And we're going to just breathe. Just notice your breath. You can inhale for four counts, exhale five counts. Kind of move some of that stale air through your body. You can use your nose or your mouth, whichever one feels right to you. We're going to just take those deep breaths a few times. Place one hand on your heart, one hand on your stomach. And continue your slow breathing. And notice 
how your heart rate might slow down just a bit. Notice how slowing your breath can help you relax your jaw. Breathing is such a powerful um, tool that we have to bring ourselves back to center and to control the overwhelm that hits us. As you continue your deep breathing, remembering to exhale just a little longer than you inhale. Choose a word or a phrase that you might feel called to today. An intention. Maybe something like, I am fully present. Maybe I can trust myself. Maybe God's spirit is inside me. Maybe I am enough. Continue that slow breathing and notice the way that your palms feel against your body, one over your heart and one on your stomach. Just take a minute of gratitude that your body helps you experience the world, helps you experience love and relationship helps you experience connection to the divine, connection to the earth. Just tell your body thank you. And then continue your mantra, whichever one you've chosen, the phrase that you need to say to yourself today, over and over, and just say it as you breathe in and out. My prayer for you is that you would find your wildness and you would trust it to lead you back to yourself, to the place inside of you that knows God intimately, that your wildness would point you home and set you free. Last breath in and out. Thank you. I feel so much better. Me too. I love it. <laughs> That's how much you I was breathing. Rest. I was breathing, baby. You were breathing. It's amazing how I can feel my heart rate kind of slow down. 
Mm-hmm. You don't even know what you're holding. Right. Sometimes I literally felt my jaw just even when you were before you said it. And then when you named it, I was like, oh my gosh, my jaw just relaxed. Yeah. Cool. I yeah. It's yeah. so great. Well, Shannon, I am so excited to get this book out in the world. And I actually have a giveaway copy um, for those who listen to the podcast. So once we post this podcast, if you, um, we'll tell you how to get your free copy. And so we are so excited to give this away and get it out in the world. You have done a good, good work. Thank you, sis. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's lovely to connect with you and tell everyone where they can find you. And what, what do you, do you have anything coming up that people can be involved in? Um, Yeah, I do. Well, I have, does this run before Advent or Mm -hmm. during? Okay. So I'm doing these um, weekly Advent reflections via email and you can um, find me on Substack uh, my, it's not up on my website yet. My website is shannonkevans.com and on Instagram, I'm shannonkevans uh, at shannonkevans, no.com there. Um, but I will have, I'll be sharing a lot about how to sign up for, um, the advent reflection emails and they're kind of centering, um, seeing the, the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary's motherhood. So I think Aww. it's pretty relevant trying to tie it into this book. And I think it'll be a pretty spiritually nourishing thing. They'll be short um, written reflections. And I'm hoping to also have an audio option for people who like to listen. Wonderful. I love it. Well, thanks for coming to the Jesus of Love podcast. We are grateful and we just bless the work that you continue to do. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay.